0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken from Isaiah 40, the verses 12 to 26. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens... Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground. than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes And look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. The text for this morning you will find in Isaiah 40, the verses 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the strength of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I made a little change in verse 31 of our text. Instead of the word hope, I'm using the word wait. You'll find that word wait in many other translations. It's also the translation I used in my own congregation, so that's the verb I'm using. Those who wait on the Lord. Waiting is difficult. I sometimes have to visit my family physician, and I have an appointment for two o'clock. And at quarter after three, I'm still sitting in his waiting room. Waiting is difficult. Waiting is also difficult when the doctor has prescribed tests for you. Perhaps to see whether you have cancer or some other illness. Then you have to wait for the results of those tests. Waiting is difficult. And even the younger children among us know that waiting is difficult. Perhaps you're going to go on a holiday or something exciting is going to happen. It's going to happen two or three weeks, right? You have to wait. Ten more sleeps. Eight more sleeps, right? Waiting can be difficult. Waiting on the Lord is just as difficult, if not even more difficult. Waiting on His timing, His provision, His leading. When I made this sermon, I was ministering to a lady. She's not a member of my congregation, was a daughter of a member in my congregation. She had terminal cancer. Then she had been moved to Laurel Place in the hospice. And she was ready to go home to be with the Lord. Already at the beginning of her stay in Laurel Place. But it took another 10 or 11 weeks before the Lord answered her prayer and took her home. Waiting on the Lord, on His timing and on His provision can be very difficult. Waiting in general can make you tired can make you frustrated, can make you anxious. And waiting on the Lord can do the same. And in addition, when you have to wait on the Lord longer than you would like to, you sometimes may get the feeling that the Lord has forgotten you. That the Lord is no longer paying attention to you. That your plans and your desires do not really interest Him. And when that is the case, you run the risk that you begin to judge God by the narrow moment of your own experience. That you begin to shrink God to the parameters of your own consciousness. And that you're ready to throw in the towel and call it quits. Yet learning to wait on the Lord is important. Because life is a journey. The journey to the new heaven and the new earth. And sometimes that journey can take long. To be sure, measured by the standards of eternity, it's only a blip on the radar screen. But measured by the standards of time, that journey can sometimes be long. And on that journey, that long journey, we have to do a lot of waiting. And moreover, learning to wait is important because life ultimately is not about us. Our plans and our desires. But life really ultimately is about God his plans, and his desires. We remind ourselves of that every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And if life is ultimately about God and not about us, then we might as well learn and cultivate the spiritual discipline because that's what we're talking about. Cultivate the spiritual discipline of learning to wait upon the Lord. Waiting for Israel, the people in our text, Was not easy either. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah tell us about God's displeasure with Israel. They constantly spurned His love. They constantly wanted to walk in their own ways. And so God said, I'm finished with you for now. I'm going to send you out of the promised land. Just like I sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. You will be carried off into exile to Babylon. And then in the second section of Isaiah, the chapters 40 to 66. Isaiah prophesies about hope for the people of Israel who will be living in exile. They're not there yet, but he imagines them there. And in their difficult situation, he comes with words of hope. They would be sent into exile for 70 years. It's a long time. I have a family in my congregation whose son was nabbed at the border for smuggling ecstasy into the United States. Was in the paper, so it's public. And he's serving his time in California. He's been there for about six years. It's a long time for him. It's a long time for his parents. His adoptive parents and his adopted dad has died already in the meantime and never saw his son again. But imagine being sent to jail for 70 years, not eight or 10, but 70 years. It's a long time. And Isaiah pictures the people of Israel in the jail of Babylon, as it were. And they were getting tired. Look at the opening words of our text. In verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. There they are, pictured in jail, as it were. And they would be there. And Isaiah pictures them as getting awfully tired. He pictures them as judging God by the narrow moment of their own experience. He pictures them shrinking God to the narrow parameters of their own consciousness. Their way is hidden from the Lord. Their sense of right, what they think needs to happen, when it needs to happen, and how it needs to happen. Their sense of right seems to be disregarded. By their God. And so they might as well throw in the towel. And no longer wait. On the Lord. And Isaiah says. When that happens. Don't live like that. Instead of judging God. By the narrow moment. Of your own experience. Instead of shrinking God to the narrow parameters of your own consciousness, you should judge the narrow moment of your own experience by the greatness of your God. Right? We get tunnel vision. When we have to wait too long. And we think that reality is all that we see and experience at that moment. And we think that God is just as narrow as our tunnel vision. And Isaiah says, don't do that. Measure the narrow moment by the greatness of your God." And in order to do that, he says, remember who God is. Remember that God is not the God of the short view, the God of the tunnel vision. But remember that God is the God of the long view. Because Isaiah says he is the God of the ages. He is the everlasting God. And in addition, Isaiah says, remember that God's creative activity is not limited to one locality. It's not limited to Israel. It's not limited to Babylon. But God's creative activity Includes the whole earth. Because Isaiah says he is the creator of the ends of the earth. And because our God is the God of the long view. And the God of the wide view. Never throw in the towel. Or he never throws in the towel. He never grows tired or weary. Instead, this God of the long view and this God of the wide view, he faithfully fulfills his plans throughout the years, throughout the decades, throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia. Trying to understand this is impossible because God's wisdom is unsearchable, says Isaiah. And because life is about this God, whose wisdom is unsearchable, the God of the long and the wide view, We need to learn to wait upon this God. I'd like to give you five handles. Five handles to help you in learning to wait upon the Lord just a little bit more. In addition to remembering that God is the God of the long view and the wide view. I gleaned this from an article on the internet. Uh, The author had more handles, but I just took five, and here they are. Waiting on the Lord. First of all, we need to do this with confident expectation. And the author brought in the illustration of a television set. And I can't remember what he all said about it, but it came down to this. Or if I apply it to myself, I like to watch the news. I like to watch the national. And if I can watch it at six, I don't have to watch it at ten. And you know what? When I'm at home with my wife, I confidently wait for Peter Mansbridge. And I know that when I click the remote, the TV will go on. And I will hear, good evening. This is the National. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Confident expectation. You should do the same with the Lord. I mean, our life is not so poor that we have more expectation in the TV than in the Lord, is it? Secondly, this confident expectation in the Lord is based on knowledge and trust. Now, I don't know much about the inner workings of a TV set, but if I did, then my confident expectation that it would go on at six o'clock and the news would be on at a certain channel that I turn it to is based on my knowledge of technology, my knowledge of electricity, my knowledge of the inner workings of a TV. Likewise, your confident expectation in the Lord is based on your knowledge of the Lord. And we've seen already, he is the God of the long view. Never shrink him to your own tunnel vision. He is the God of the wide view. He is the Lord. I am who I am. I am always with you. Emmanuel, God with us. The verses preceding our text, all the nations are like a drop in a bucket for him. The more we place ourselves under the greatness of, and the majesty of this God and allow ourselves to be impacted by His majesty, the more our confident expectation in waiting on the Lord will be fed, will grow and become stronger and stronger. Third, seek the Lord in prayer, in His Word, and in meditation while you're waiting. While you're waiting for the results to see whether you have cancer or Alzheimer's or something else. During that time of waiting, seek the Lord in the Scriptures. Seek the Lord in prayer and meditate on the Lord. Meditate on the greatness of His fascinating personality and the greatness of His majestic works. And that too will feed your knowledge of the Lord. And that in turn will feed Your confident expectation in the Lord, and that in turn will feed your waiting upon the Lord. Fourth, rest in God's timing. Remember, life's not about us. Life is about God. Rest in His timing. Don't get angry. Don't get anxious. Don't throw in the towel. Rest in his timing. You know what resting is? You're all doing it right now. You're all resting in the pews or in the chair. You're putting your full weight on the chair. And on the pew, likewise, resting in the Lord is putting your full weight on the Lord Jesus Christ, or on, on, on God, first of all. And we'll get to the Lord Jesus Christ in a moment. You're putting your full weight on God as you rest in his timing. And fifth, be content with God's timing and God's provision. And when we learn to do this, brothers and sisters, when we learn to wait upon the Lord, perhaps using these five handles that I just gave you, do you know what the Lord promises you? The Lord promises that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. When we do this, we will rise up above the narrow moment of our own experience. And we will look at our situation through the lens of the greatness of our God. You know those people that sit in the traffic helicopters, right? And they're telling you, you know, it's traffic jam here and the traffic. They rise up above the traffic and they'll tell you exactly what it all looks like. And they'll tell you roughly how long it's going to take for you to get where you want to go. You wait upon the Lord. You just rise up. Above the moment. And you'll learn to look at the narrow parameters of your own experience through the eyes of the greatness of your God. The God of the long view. The God of the wide view. And you will learn to patiently go on and on and on. You'll run And not grow weary. You'll walk and not faint. Because you are soaring with wings of eagles. Did you ever see an eagle uh, eagle soar? They don't flap their wings. Like this. You know why they don't flap their wings? Because as they hold they're strong and rigid wings like that. There are wind currents coming from the ground. Just like this. And these eagles, they catch these wind currents. And they soar and they soar and they soar. Hundreds of kilometers, if they want to, they just soar. Likewise. All those who wait upon the Lord will be lifted on wings of eagles and we will soar as the wind of the Spirit carries us forward from day to day, week to week, month to month, and if need be, year to year. Is that your experience? Are you waiting on the Lord? Is, of course, the first question. Maybe we're not even waiting on the Lord. Well, are you? And if you are waiting on the Lord... How are you doing that? And thirdly, as you were listening to this message, how was God speaking to you? Where do you need to learn to wait upon the Lord more? Did that come up in your mind? Where do I need to learn to wait upon the Lord more. And where perhaps. Are you too focused. On the narrow moment. Instead of focusing. Upon the greatness. Of your God. The God of the long view. And the wide view. Would you like to learn to soar with wings of eagles? Would you like to have your strength renewed instead of depleted? Because that's the flip side. You realize, of course, that when we don't wait on the Lord, and we're trying to do this in our own strength, it puckers you right out. You get tired and tired and tired. Would you like to have your strength renewed instead of depleted? Then here's the secret. The secret is not to legalistically doing those five handles that I gave you. And that you leave the church building and say, oh, the minister gave me a list of five things. And, and now just I got to do those five things. And everything will be okay. Those five things are part of a bigger package. They're part of the gospel. If you really want to have your strength renewed, like eagles, You have to learn and I have to learn. It's a level playing field. It's about me as well as about you. We all have to learn to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith alone. You know why? The Lord Jesus Christ. He always waited upon the Lord. His heavenly father. He always did that. With confident expectation. And that was always based on knowledge and trust in who his heavenly father was. And as he waited, he always fed his waiting by seeking the Lord in quiet time. In prayer and in the scriptures. And the Lord Jesus Christ always rested in the timing of his father. And he was always content with the timing and the provision of his father. And he's the head of the church. He's the mediator of the covenant. And he did it for you. He did it for his body. In fact, he did it instead of his body. As the substitute of his body. And the representative of his body. And he now says to us every time, what I have done for you, and instead of you, I want to do in you. As you seek your salvation outside of yourself, in me, just like a branch seeks its fruitfulness outside of itself in the vine." and then what i have done for you and instead of you also what it when it concerns waiting upon the lord i will do in you with my spirit and brothers and sisters believe me it works amen